morning I want to share a message that I, I really hope and trust is going to encourage you uh, and is going to, if you're feeling like you're in, a, in the midst of a fight this morning, if you're feeling like you're battling some stuff out because life can really feel that way at times, uh, I'm trusting that, that this will encourage you and will cause courage to, to rise up in your heart. You know, it speaks about Isaiah, in Isaiah 40 it says, comfort the people of God, comfort my people, speak tenderly to them, encourage them, give them courage and give them hope. And, and our hope and our courage uh, just so that you know, is not in ourselves. It's not in what we can do. It's not in how clever we can be. It's not in what we can figure out for ourselves. We readily admit that we have missed it on every point where we should not have missed it. Um, and instead, we just simply trust in the goodness and the graciousness of God. And so if you have your Bibles here this morning, we're going to go to John chapter number 14 this morning. Um, open up at John chapter number 14. If you have a Bible app on your phone or on your iPad, um, that's just as good. You can open up there, John chapter number 14. And we're going we're gonna to read a little uh, passage of, of Scripture here together. And I want to just, like I've been doing um, every week, we've been going through the Gospel of John. And every week, God just highlights more and more of His truth, more and more of, of, of His goodness, more and more of the Gospel to us. And that's ultimately what John wanted to do through the Gospel of John, is that he wanted to reveal Jesus to us. And he tells us this in, in John chapter number 20. He tells us the reason why he wrote the book. And it's so that you may believe. It's so that you may hear the things that Jesus has done, that you may hear about who Jesus is, maybe different from anything that you've heard about him before. You know, there are many opinions about Jesus. There are many thoughts, there are many theories, there are many so-called experts that want to write about Jesus and they want to talk about Jesus. And essentially what John is doing is he comes in and he says, you think you know Jesus, you think you've heard things about Jesus, you think you've figured out whether there's a God or whether the, his son is true or what he did was true, whether he was a religious leader. Or, and John goes, can everybody just let me tell you who Jesus really is? Because the, I'm the guy that was there with him. I'm the guy who walked with him. I'm the guy who saw him do what he did. I'm the guy who stood at the foot of the cross as he was crucified. I'm the one who rested against him at the Last Supper. I, I heard his heart beat. I know the heartbeat of God. Take all of your philosophies, take all of your preconceived ideas about Jesus and put them on hold because I'm going to tell you who Jesus really is. And so he begins to unpack Jesus for us in this incredible way showing us that he is the creator of heaven and earth, showing us that he is the one who stepped down into earth to be our savior, showing us that he genuinely is the Messiah that we all so desperately need. He's the one who changed the game in terms of how we relate to God. He took it from being about rituals and about laws and about stuff that you have to do in order to be right with God, and he took it from, from being that to being a relationship as he turned water into wine. It's about the relationship, it's about fellowship with the Father that is only possible through Jesus. And, and he then goes on to talk in different situations about who he is and, 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 and what Jesus has come to do for us. And uh, we get up here to John chapter number 14. We've been going through this for about 16 weeks now. And uh, in John chapter number 14, things are really kind of heating up. We're getting to the place where Jesus is about to be arrested and he is about to go to the cross. And he shares a couple of final thoughts with his disciples. And we, we spoke a little bit last week about how one of the last things that Jesus did was, was get down and wash his disciples' feet. Um, and, and he says to them, if you want any part in me, let me wash your feet. Have you ever thought about somebody washing your feet? I mean, we've done this, my wife and I, with a leadership team of ours before. We were like, we just want to honor you and we want to we wanna wash your feet. And we, we physically wash their feet. And it's incredible how 
awkward it could actually be to let people um, wash your feet, even though it was an amazing spiritual moment, like just guys were crying and there was a genuine honoring happening there. You know why it's so awkward and so difficult for people to have somebody else wash your feet? Is because our, our feet are normally the, the part of us that we don't really want anybody to touch, that we don't really want anybody to see because it's, it could be considered, especially in those days, walking around in those dusty streets as the dirtiest part of, of you. And what Jesus says is that, is, is that I'm here to wash you. And Peter says, you won't. You won't wash my feet. I'm not going to let you. are the son of God. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. You've got to let me wash your feet. And in other words, we take everything of us. We take even the stuff that we're ashamed of. We take even the stuff that we're not proud of. We take the stuff that's the dirtiest areas of our lives. And we, we don't have to pre-wash before we can come to Jesus. We don't have to wash our feet so that it's just clean enough for him to accept us. We come as we are and we say, Jesus, here we are. And he goes, I'm the one who cleanses you. By the water of his word, by the water of his truth, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the Bible says. And so Jesus has, has just done this. And there's, there's a conversation that unfolds and it leads into John 14. So we'll get there. But let me just read John 14. Verses 1 to 4, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. You know where I am going, and you know the way. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. I want to share a message with you this morning entitled, The Hope We Have. The Hope We Have. Let's just, let's just pray together, and then we'll get stuck into John 14. Father, we thank you so much this morning, uh, Lord, that we can just open up our hearts to your word right now, Lord God. Wherever we're at in our journey, Lord God, whether we've uh, been walking with you and trusting in you, and, and, and whether we've come to, to really understand by faith the gospel, or whether we're just right at the beginning of this journey, we're still just looking in from the outside. We're still pondering whether these things could be true. Wherever we are at on this journey, Father, we thank you that right Right now, this morning, you speak to us each individually. We didn't come here to hear the words of, of man. We didn't come here to hear the words of just a preacher, but we came here to hear your voice. And so beyond anything that I can do in my human strength this morning, Father, I thank you that your spirit empowers your truth into every single heart and is changing and, and, and breaking open and, and bringing life forth uh, in every heart this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We humble ourselves before you today, and we thank you that you're speaking to us in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen, amen. So if you've been alive for any amount of time, which you probably have been because you're here this morning, um, but you would know that, that life can be tough, right? Can we just get a consensus on that this morning, that life is tough sometimes, right? Um, I remember as a young boy loving swimming in the sea and always trying to go deeper and deeper and catch bigger and bigger waves. And I remember sometimes when I had gone a little bit too deep and you get rolled by a wave. If any of you have ever been in the ocean where the wave kind of breaks over you and it just forces you down, you kind of hit the sand at the bottom. And, and in that moment, all you see is white water. You don't know. You actually get confused. You don't know which way is up and which way is down. 
And life can often make you feel that way, where you don't even know which way to go to, which way to turn to. You're just being rolled by life. It can be really, really difficult as we face just the general hardships of life. And there's no way to escape the fact. As much as we try to simplify life. Have you seen how much people go, man, life is so complicated. Let's just simplify. So let's throw out all of our stuff and paint everything white and just go minimalist on our whole lives, you know? And, and maybe that's what will help if we can just simplify everything, if we can minimalize everything, if we can, if we can safeguard everything, if we, if we don't overcommit or take too many big risks or, or, or do those kinds of things, then maybe we'll be able to protect ourselves from the complexity of life. I do this often when I start to feel overwhelmed. I sit down with my wife and I'm like, we need to just simplify. We just need to figure things out. We just need to look at, at how we're going to get through the next couple of weeks or the next couple of months. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is you never get away from how complex life is in this world and how tough it is to figure out. And what it does is that it brings us to the end of ourselves. It brings us to the end of ourselves. The longer you live, the more you realize how frail you actually are. How, how short we fall of having it all together. If you're telling yourself or others that you have it all together, it's probably because you're either delusional or because you're not being honest. Because even though we might have it down in certain areas, we hardly ever have it all together. We hardly ever have our ducks in a row. For me, a big part of my life was always to have my ducks in a row. And there came a point in my life where I realized I, don't even, I haven't seen my ducks in ages. I don't even know where they are. They may have migrated to Iceland because I haven't seen them. I just don't have it all together. I, I just I realized this. And the more I realized that, the more I realized how much I genuinely need Jesus. How much I genuinely need the Savior who came down as the creator who stepped into it. I need help. I need help. And the closer I've gotten to God, the more I've just prayed that, God, help me. That's the prayer I pray, pray more than any other, other prayer because I recognize that I'm not sufficient in and of myself. So this is different from the religious self-help program that you may have thought church was. You may have thought that church is all about giving me a system by which I can live a better life. That's not what this is. This is not a self-help program. This is, this is the gospel. And the first thing that it declares is that we are not sufficient, but God is. This, is. this is about hope in a savior, not in trying to save ourselves. Does that make sense this morning? And so I was thinking about a story that we covered in, in John chapter 8 a couple of, of weeks back. In fact, Chris uh, preached on that, on that passage of Scripture where they caught a woman in adultery and brought her to Jesus and said, the law commands that we stone this woman for, for this act of adultery. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and these religious leaders and he says, whoever does not have sin, he who has no sin, you cast the first stone. He says, okay, if you guys have been living perfect lives, cast the first stone. And what's interesting is that it says each of them dropped their stones and walked away, but it says that they dropped them in order from the oldest to the youngest. Because the longer you've been alive, you know, it's like the old guy standing with a stone. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. I know that's me. Cheers. Good one, Jesus. You got me on that one, you know. And, and the guy who's been alive a little bit longer, he's I'm a little bit shorter. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. And the young guy, he's like, really? Mm, I think I'm still pretty good. I think I... Uh, okay, now I remember. Okay, it's fine, fine, I'll, I'll drop this stone. 
And, and, and that's the truth. The longer that you have tried very hard to be good, the more you realize that you actually aren't. And there's a moment of, of faith and freedom where you, you give up your own strength and you say, I need help. I need Jesus. I need a savior. I need somebody to step into my life because I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. And so I've had moments like this in my life to various degrees. I mean, life in general will just bring you to the end of yourself. But there are many times where we go through difficult times, difficult transitions, difficult difficulties in life, disappointments, betrayals, hardships, and, and rejections, and all these kinds of things. And I have remembered, or I remember uh, different moments that I've been through like this. But I remember one time uh, being literally flawed. When I say literally flawed, I was lying on the floor and I felt like my life had ended. I was in tears. I could hardly speak. I was hyperventilating. And uh, I remember picking up the phone, trying to call a friend of mine who lives in America. I tried to phone him uh, on FaceTime and I didn't even know what time of the morning it was where he lives, but, but I just needed to speak to somebody and he didn't answer. And I remember just sending him a text, I'm gone. I'm gone. That's how I felt in that moment. I'm just absolutely, I have no strength left in me. Like, like scripture often speaks about that my strength has departed from me. I have nothing left to fight for myself. And that was a, an in, a very intensified moment that represents genuinely how frail our strength is. If you think you're, you're like, no man, I got this thing. Try this. Try not sleeping for one night and not eating for one day. You'll see all of your broken humanity come out in one moment. You'll fight with everybody. You'll be grumpy. You'll be pulling people off in traffic, but then being too weak to fight them. You know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll, you'll struggle because one skipped meal, one skipped meal, one night too little sleep, and the strength that we rely on so heavily is gone all of a sudden. We realize how frail we are as people and how life can actually floor us. And, um, and in that moment, just being on, on the floor, just literally no strength left in me, texting my friend, I'm gone, man. Like, I don't even know what's left. I just, I felt the Holy Spirit. I just felt the power of the Holy Spirit come into that room. I just, I just felt the, the strength of God rise up on the inside of me. And I stood up. I stood up just not having any answers, not knowing what was going to happen with my life, feeling the most turmoil I've ever experienced. And I just started to pray. And there was something powerful that wasn't me. It was the presence of God. It was the grace of God. It was the strength of God, not my strength. And I started to walk up and down in that room and I just started to declare the goodness of God over my life. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm not forgotten. The best is yet to come. There's restoration and the Bible speaks about he comes with healing in his wings. He, as, he, as he arrives in our lives, God brings healing. He brings restoration. He brings redemption into our lives. And I want to tell you that God has that for your life. When he arrives in your life, he comes with healing for the things that you have been broken over. And that's why we believe in this church. It's why we believe in what God has for us. Because we believe that God wants to restore lives. So when we step out <clears throat> into the city, it's not just so that we can do another church. 
so that we can see God touch lives. That's what he does. He restores. This is not something that happens by human strength. I felt a fight rise up on the inside of me. A, a spirit of, of courage. and like, We're going to fight this thing out, man. It, it might be hard. And I remember just in that season, I, I watched a clip of a guy who um, plays rugby, he captains a side in the European League, and he had, he had been mic'd up, um, you know, so they, they put a mic on him, so throughout the game, as he leads the team, you can hear everything that he's saying is recorded, which is maybe a bit of a dangerous thing to do, but, but, um, but you can just hear the hits that he's taking, every time he gets tackled, or he tackles somebody, you can hear that, like, like you know, the, how hard those impacts are on his life, and and, uh, and he gets up at one point, and they fall behind. And it's, it was actually a, a final or a semi-final of a game. And he falls behind. He gets up, and he rallies his team around, and he starts shouting out. And I'll never forget these words. He starts shouting, this is a dog fight. This is a dog fight. We're in this fight. It's a dog fight. And sometimes life feels like that dog fight. But the strength to fight that fight is not in you. It's in Christ. It's in the Holy Spirit. It's in His grace. And I felt that. And I remember saying to Will during that season, I remember saying to Will, Will, this is a dogfight. This is a dogfight. But we're going to make it. We know, that's the great thing. We know that whatever happens, we win. The victory is already settled. It's already ours in Christ. We, we, don't, we don't wonder whether or not we're going to win. We already know we're going to win. We just have to walk it out. We just have to trust God when it doesn't look like we're going to win. When the, when the chips are down and we're down by 10 points and when we're South Africa versus Ireland at Ellis Park and it's the second half, that's when, that's when we know that we have the victory and we just need to walk it out through those seasons. And this is the grace of God in action. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, he says, we're afflicted in every way. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. I want you to know that that's true for your life this morning. You may be afflicted, but with Christ, you can never be crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. God never forsakes us through all of that. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 11 says, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In other words, when we're smashed on the ground, that's what happened that day to me. Smashed on the ground and you feel the life of Jesus manifesting in your mortal flesh. Your mortal weak flesh, you're just, you, your human self, but the strength of God, the life of Jesus rising up on the inside. We have a tendency though to want to fight life in our own strength. We have a tendency to want to do it by ourselves. And so I'm going to go from John 14. I'm going to rewind a little bit to the last conversation that Jesus has with Peter in John 13 that we looked at last week. Um, because when the Bible was originally written, we've got to remember, it wasn't written with chapters and verses. It was just written as a continuous story. And so sometimes we change the chapter and we're like, like it's a new episode of something or like it's a, it's a brand new start to the story. And actually it's still continuing the story that you just finished off reading in the previous chapter. So it's good to just take it through and and to see what, was, what, what led to Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled. Because that's how he starts verse, verse, uh, chapter 14. Let not your heart be What did he say before that? In John 13 verse 36, he's telling his disciples that his hour to go to be with the Father is at hand. And this obviously 
unnerves the, the disciples a lot because they've been walking with him for three years. They've left everything behind. They've, they've trusted in him. And now Jesus says he's going back to be with the Father. And they are panicking in this moment. They are worried. They are concerned. And they want to know, how can we go with you? We just want to go wherever you're going, Jesus. And so uh, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. You cannot go with me to the Father now. But you shall follow me afterward. Later on, yeah, you'll follow me. But for now, I'm going to the Father and you're staying here. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow. In other words, that next morning, the sun won't come up before you've already denied me three times. Before you've, and then he goes, let not your heart be troubled. So what Peter is, is saying here, he's showing this tendency. When we get fearful in life, when we find out that things are not going to go the way that we think that we're going to go, we immediately go to our own strength to try and resolve that thing. And that's what happens. Jesus goes, guys, I'm going. You can't follow me now. You'll follow me afterward. Peter goes, no, Jesus, I'll lay down my life, Jesus. I'll work for this. I'll do whatever I need to do. Whatever the cost, Jesus, I'll make sure that I go wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, because, and this is just Peter, that tendency to stand in your own strength and in your own committedness and your own uh, uh, religious piety, whatever it might be, we often stand up and say, no, God, I will do this. The same way that we commit to a, a, a diet on a Monday morning, I will do this. You know, at brunch, somebody offers you a waffle. You're like, you know what? I'll start next week, you know, just, it's like the devil sends those waffles strategically. But we commit to it and we do that in our own strength. We say, God, will you help me? God, will you strengthen me? I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll, I'll follow you. And Jesus says to Peter, essentially, Peter, you don't have what it takes in your own self. He says, you think that you're so committed to God right now? You're going to deny me before the sun even comes up. He points to how our faith in God is faith not in what we can do for Him, but ultimately in what He is doing for us and has done for us. That's what the gospel is. It's believing in what Jesus has already done for you as opposed to what you're still supposed to do for Him. I still respond in this way when I go through trouble. Okay, Jesus, I'll do this. I'll fix this out, uh, sort this out. I'll, I'll fix this. I'll, 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 I'll get everything that I need to do, all the things that I need to put together. I'll put it together and I'll make it happen. Have you ever made promises to God like that? Like if you're, if you're struggling to have kids, I remember how many times when we were struggling to have kids, we were like, okay, God, if you give us a child, we'll dedicate him to the Lord. Come on, how many people have said that? What does that mean? Of course our kids are dedicated to the Lord. It's not like we go like, okay, well, this one goes to Jesus. This one, okay, Satan. You know, Jesus, <laughs> Satan. Jesus, like every second child's like, of course they all, we all, we raise them all, you know, in the fear of God and, and, and to, to know the gospel and, and to know the love of God. But in our human efforts to earn the blessings of God, we say, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. 
I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. God, I'm struggling financially. Uh, if, you, if you give me the money that I need, I'll give 20% to the poor, Jesus. I'll give 20% to the poor, more than just the 10%. I'll give 20%. Just give me this and I'll give you that. We try and bargain with God. God, if you, if you forgive me for this, I promise you I will never do it ever again. Come on, how many times have we prayed that? And then you're like, God, I know that I said that last time, but this time it's for reals. This time for real. Like it's gonna happen. I'm not gonna do it again. I'm never even gonna go there. And then you do it again and do it again and do it again. And, 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 and we, we wanna bargain with God in that way. So what Jesus says to us is what he said to Peter. Whenever we promise our own commitment, oh God, I'll do this for you. He goes, really? If it's up to you, you would deny me before the sun comes up. It's not your strength that counts in this. What Jesus wanted Peter to get was that how we get to follow Jesus, how we get to be where he is, how we lay down our lives essentially is by putting our faith in him. It's by believing not that we have to earn it, but that Jesus earned it on our behalf. That's what the gospel is. It's the grace of God. And Jesus already knew that as Peter makes these promises that he would fail. He already knew that Peter would fail in his commitment to God. And so he says what he says in verse number one, which is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled Jesus is essentially saying, by your own failures. Don't let your heart be troubled by your own faults and your own flaws. Don't let your heart be troubled to think that God would abandon you, that he would leave you as orphans. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you. Even though I'm going to be with the Father, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as fatherless. We don't have to fear that we may have lost our connection with God. So many people are on such a big spiritual roller coaster when it comes to a relationship with God. Oh, he loves me. He doesn't love me. I think he's committed to me. He doesn't. I'm good enough to serve God. I'm definitely not good enough to serve God. You see, when you base your faith on your commitment to God, it's always going to be up and down because that's what our commitment is like. But when we base our faith on Jesus's commitment to us, it's consistent. It's constant. It doesn't fail. I remember um, being at home uh, with my boys when there was load shedding happening. And every day uh, at different times, we would get some form of load shedding. And one evening I was in the room um, with one of my twin boys, uh, the oldest of the twin boys, Leo. And I was just about to walk out of the room to get something. And as I was leaving the room, the lights went out. And it was just pitch dark in, in, a, in a moment. And, and I remember Leo crying out in the darkness. I remember that little voice. He's got this little bit of a husky voice. And I remember this little husky voice just, just like calling out into the darkness. Like, like, like Dad, have you left? You know, are you, are you still here? Like, you know, and I could just hear that, that fear that just came over him in that moment. And, and obviously, I immediately turned around and I picked him up and I held him. And, uh, and I said to him, I'm here, boy. I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm holding you in the midst 
of this darkness. And that's what God is saying to his disciples. He's like, you might not see me, but I'm with you. When the lights go out, you might worry about whether or not I'm there, but I'm there. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Don't think that I'm, I'm not with you. Believe in God. Trust in God. And trust also in me. Our faith and our trust is in Jesus. He's the one who overcomes our troubles, who overcomes our weaknesses, our failures. You see, life is complex, but the gospel is simple. The gospel is the simple answer to the complexity of life. When we're overwhelmed, Jesus simply says the words, I'm here and I'm God. I'm your father and I'm here. When Job was facing this turmoil and he's sitting with uh, a bunch of no good friends who are trying to tell him why all this calamity happened in his life. Have you ever had that? Bad things happen to you and then people want to tell you why it happened. Uh, it's because I told you, you should have been to church on Sunday. By the way, I believe in that one, so come back next Sunday. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so they're sitting and they're talking with him, and he's perplexed. He doesn't know. He's sitting in the dust for days on end, just like, why did this happen? You know what God does? He shows up and he says, hey, Job, I'm God. And the Bible says Job was satisfied. His heart found peace because he trusted in who God is and that God was present in his life. So Jesus says, you're going to face times of trouble. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do you, do you notice that there's an allowing there? You can either let your heart be troubled or not let your heart be troubled. How do you overcome a troubled heart? Believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Faith in the, the faithfulness of God. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a room for you in my father's house. Essentially, he goes, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me, you're family. I'm just going to go prep your room. I'm just going to go get everything ready, and then I will come back myself and receive you, and we'll go home to the father together. He says to his disciples, don't think that when I leave here that you're somehow not part of the family anymore. You belong to God. You're a child of God. You're a part of the household of faith. You belong here. You're accepted. He knows that Peter's going to deny him before the sun rises, but he says, you're accepted. Don't let your heart be troubled. You're part of the family. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, it's not signing up like a contract where you sign that you'll, you'll, you'll do the best to keep your side of the bargain. No, you become a child of God. You're part of the family and family sticks together. Jesus stands with us when we're at our worst. I, re I remember somebody saying to me that Jesus is at his best when we're at our worst. He stands with you. And he says, this is just the beginning of the story. I'm going to return and bring you home. So don't fear because we're family. And then there's a couple of questions that the disciples ask Jesus. Thomas says in John 14, 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Because Jesus said to them, you know where I'm going. You, you know the way. He goes, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds in verse 6 by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Another one of those I am statements of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If, he, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus, how can we follow him? Your faith in me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's why Jesus isn't just an accessory to our other philosophical ideas in life. It's not just a good moral teacher or a religious teacher. It's a very all or nothing statement. He says, how can we get to the Father? How, can, how do we get to come home with you, Jesus, and live eternally in this family? And he goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's the only way for us to be reconciled with God to be made right with God. So, so Philip is the next one to shout out in verse eight. He says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus just told him, you know him and you've seen him. And, he, and Philip goes, Lord, show us the Father and that is sufficient for us. I so relate with that because how many times when you're going through difficulty, are you like, God, give me a sign. God, give me a sign. And then something totally random happens and you're like, God, is that you? And you're like, no, no, maybe that's not. God, give me a better sign. Like, I didn't need to know, like, you know, let three turtle doves land on that roof and one fly off and the other two fist bump each other, you know, just like, then I'll know, God, make this foolproof for me, man. Make this foolproof. I need to know, is this you, God? I don't know where I came up with that. Um, but, but Philip essentially says to Jesus, let us see God. And if we've seen him and we're totally convinced we're not gonna struggle anymore. In other words, Philip wants to bypass faith. He wants to go, okay, just show us, just quickly convince us completely, and, and then we'll be good. And so Jesus responds by saying, Philip, I've, I've been with you for so long. Essentially, he says, I, I don't get that you still don't get this. And he says the words, those who have seen me have seen the Father. You see, that's the incredible thing that Jesus came to do. We often worry about what God's heart is towards us when we go through difficulty. But what Jesus is saying is that this is what God is like. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He loves you, and he loves you so much that he's willing to die for you. Jesus is essentially saying, this is what God is like. He's pretty committed to you. He's pretty faithful. He loves you more than what you can imagine. And so... Seeing the life of Jesus gives us confidence about the Father. It helps us to know his heart and know his love. So Jesus has already given two things to reassure, to reassure his disciples in times of trouble. Let not your heart be troubled because you're family and you know the Father. You're family and you know the Father. We're almost done this morning. I just want to go into the next verse where he goes into reason number three. And this is so so important, so powerful. In John 14, 16, it says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor that he may be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive for it does not see him, neither does it know him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. And so in this moment, Jesus gives reason number three as to why we do not let our hearts be troubled. We're family of God. We belong to him. We, uh, we, we know the Father. We know his heart. We know his character. We know what he's like. And we have the Holy Spirit. 
He gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. God is with us through His Spirit. That's who we experience in the midst of worship. That's, what, that's the person that strengthened me when I got up that day off of the floor. When I started praying, when I go through hardships, I don't depend on my own strength. I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's God's own Spirit fellowshipping with our spirits. Speaking and confirming and guiding and directing and teaching and, and revealing Jesus to us. He's a counselor, a guide, a comforter. Jesus says, I'll give you another counselor, capital C. He's the one who speaks to your heart. And I just honestly think that we don't fellowship with the Holy Spirit enough, especially in the midst of hardship. How many of us go quiet when we experience hardship? He's there. There's certain areas inside of us that we often lock away from God. And it's so incredible to think that the Holy Spirit lives within you. If there's an area of your life, if there is a rejection, if there is a hurt, if there is a pain that you're afraid to open up about, I want to encourage you this week to go and sit in a room somewhere. Pray that God would protect you. Pray, just start to speak to God. And then take the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, Here's that place of hurt. I'm going to unlock that room that I've kept locked for so long. And I'm asking you to come in and to heal me. You do that and you watch what God will do in your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of you. He is a comforter. He is a strengthener. He is the power of God that transforms us, that causes us to overcome and persevere and be faithful. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that lives in you. It's that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within us. So victory in this life doesn't come through what we can do. It comes through what Jesus has done for us. It comes from what the Spirit of God does within us. The world, this is not a worldly solution. Because the world cannot see him or know him, is what the scripture says. This is not an earthly solution. But we know him. It's a supernatural solution from the hand of God. Final scripture this morning. John 14, 25, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I'm still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. Peace, Jesus says, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. This is a peace that transcends earthly understanding. This is a peace that surpasses the trouble that we find ourselves in. Jesus said it again. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't allow fear to dictate your life and to dictate to your heart how it should feel. Neither let it be afraid. My peace I give to you. My comfort, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace but an eternal peace. If you, if you look at how people search after peace in this world, the holidays just get bigger. 
the, the, the locations just get more exotic. The Instagram feed just gets more extravagant. More time off work or, more, or less of that and more simplified, more minimalized still doesn't give peace. But when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, that's an eternal peace. I love it when in movies something's about to blow up, like a house. Somebody always finds a bomb in the oven. That's a good place to put a bomb. And then they run out. They bust through the glass door. And fortunately, everybody whose house has ever been blown up also has a pool. And you dive as the house is exploding behind you. And then you see that person go in under the water. And under the water, it's just silent. It's just quiet. But in the background, you can see the chimney is going and the SUV is over the neighbor's wall. And like things are blowing up. But in that environment, it's just quiet. And for some reason, water protects you from everything. But that's what it's like. It's not that we have perfect lives or lives without trouble. It's that we experience peace in the midst of trouble. A comfort of the Holy Spirit. He is with us. So Jesus goes on to say in this chapter that ultimately this power, this victory, is only available to those who put their trust in Him. This is not an earthly thing you can figure out for yourself. This is the hope that we have. That we are family of God. That we know the Father. We know His heart. And that we have His Spirit. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled.